Hey, welcome to the First Two Entrepreneurs podcast, where we feature first responders that are also entrepreneurs or running business on the side. We are here to showcase these businesses, but also talk about the difficulties running a business while being a first responder. My name is Ryan Ballard, and I'm your host. All right. In today's episode, I am super excited to welcome Jason Sussdorf. How are you, Jason? I'm great, man. It's awesome to be here. I appreciate you uh, reaching out and uh, wanting to hear from me. Yeah, absolutely, man. You got uh, you got quite the background. Um, you know, doing a little homework on uh, on LinkedIn where we connected, and uh, I'm I'm excited to hear about it all, man. You got uh, quite the resume behind you. Um, you know, even even from childhood up until you know what you're doing now. So, um, super excited to to hear about it. Um, Jason is the founder and lead instructor of Swamp Fox Tactics. Uh, he's also a uh, full-time uh, career fireman in Yuba City, California. Is that correct? Yes, sir. All right, all right. Um, I kind of want to, kind of want to go in chronica- chronological order on this one. So, um, you have quite the past in martial arts, um, from what I read, and um, this all started when you were a kid, um, and uh, with your uh, father, I believe, correct? Correct. Yeah, I grew okay. up in my parents' martial arts school. Yeah. Awesome. Get into that if you'd like. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's start from there, and then we'll yeah. go chronologically up until now. It's, um, I mean, tying it into you know what you do with your podcast with first do entrepreneurs and uh, firefighting. I mean, my my past is and my my upbringing and, and everything is is really <clears throat> the resume that landed me a career firefighting job. But uh, anyways, to to kind of start at the beginning, I. I grew up in my parents' martial arts school. Um, my mom and dad met uh, as martial artists in a dojo, uh, studying together, and then uh, earned their black belts and uh, went in on their own to open their own school in, um, I believe that was 83, 1983 when they did that. And uh, so when I was born the, in 87, the, the school had been going for a few years and um, made up a, a constituted a, a good amount of time uh, of my childhood spent there, and so, you know, my my early childhood years in, include many memories in in the dojo, and it it really shaped um, how I view life and how I've carried myself through life, both consciously and subconsciously. Um, and I've I've always considered myself a martial artist. You know, um, down the road we had to close the karate school, but. Um, you know, people would ask me if I'm still doing karate. Um, and, and that, that sort of mindset is, has always been interesting to me because it's never something I did. It's just been a way of life. Um, and, uh, I've always carried the ethos that we, that was kind of ingrained in us as students in the karate school. And, um, it, it really just kind of shaped my trajectory in life and just uh, how I carried myself. But um, yeah, so I studied uh, American Kempo. I started, we started in what was called Kosher Shori Kempo um, and uh, transitioned to American Kempo under Ed Parker system in, uh, let's see, the late 90s. And um, that, that was my foundational martial art for the majority of the time we had the dojo. Uh, I earned my black belt in that discipline. My father was a, uh, a dedicated martial artist. He spent his his life 
committing himself to bettering himself as a student. He he attained uh, ranks that were considered master, but um, he never considered himself at that level. He always held the rank or the title of teacher and had people refer to him as such because he always maintained a, a student mindset and was always training and, and learning and educating himself further uh, in the martial way. And um, that that was something that really rubbed off on me because it I got to see what sensei is like in front of the students at the karate school. And then I got to see that person at home in their personal life. And I got to see the what integrity looks like. Uh, I wasn't ever really told about integrity. I just watched it. Um, and I would watch my dad study things and practice things on his own and um, and then talk about the lessons he learned from it in the dojo to his students. And so I got to see uh, what it looks like to really walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Uh, he would he would pressure test everything. Um, you know, we had a we had a karate school in the heyday of, of martial arts where, um, you know, the, the Chuck Norris's and Van Dams and uh, all those movies were out and everybody wanted to know how to roundhouse kick someone in the head. But uh, we had a dojo of of men and women that wanted and needed the art to work for them. You know, we had law enforcement officers and, and uh, those with military backgrounds and whatnot coming into our dojo uh, wanting to learn something that they could apply to real life. And so everything that we studied got pressure tested. And I also got to see the value in that in um, understanding the purpose of what you're training for. And what I mean by that is not just um, understanding that what you're training for is the physical application, but there's also uh, a spiritual application to it as well. Um, that's really important when it comes to not just martial arts, but living sort of the martial way in life. And um, that, that was just really impressionable on me at a very young age. And so it kind of guided my trajectory in life. And I, I'm not saying that it gave me the answers to everything, but it, it gave me a really solid direction to go with. Because uh, in, uh, in 2007, when I was, I was uh, 20 years old, my father was killed in a motorcycle accident. And um, that was, I was right at that age of, you know, leaving the household and, and joining the military. Um, and so as a young man, just kind of stepping out into the world to find my own uh, way, you know, I really, that guide that, you know, you, you I think a, a young man should, should be able to, and, and not everybody has this opportunity, but a young man should be able to follow, follow along, you know, a father's path. And then um, at some point he needs to be on his own in the wilderness and, and make his own path. Uh, I read somewhere that if you're, if you're following a path, you're following someone else's, you know, uh, at some mm -hmm. point you gotta be making your own way. Uh, you can be going towards the same de destination, but you, you gotta make your own path at some point. And some people are kind of just tossed off the path or suddenly the path ends abruptly. And now it's up to you to, to start making your own path. And that was sort of my experience in life. And, um, I'm really grateful for um, the values and just that time that I got with, you know, with my dad and, and with uh, at the dojo with all the just thousands of students that we had over the, over the years. And uh, I really got to learn so many different valuable lessons in that atmosphere, but just by observing other people uh, coming in for all kinds of reasons, you know, that, that people join a karate school and then 
all kinds of reasons that people continue following a leader uh, like the, the type of leader that my father was. Um, so I did that. Uh, I'd studied martial arts, you know, until I basically left for the military, um, which in 2005, um, I left I, after graduating high school, I, I went to, I traveled to Alabama and uh, enrolled in a military academy called Mil Marion Military Institute. Uh, and I was on what was called the early commissioning program where you go to college for two years and you get your commission as an officer in the military and then you continue and finish your degree while as a commissioned officer and then you go on and serve four years. Um, during my time at the academy um, there was there was some miscommunications and I, I lost my scholarship uh, that I got that I got awarded to get to get me there. I was allowed to continue as a, as a cadet. The reason I lost that scholarship was because when I was 16, I was dumb. And uh, I went out drinking at, after homecoming one night and I got pulled over. And um, I mean, talk about a lesson learned. Um, I, I, had, I had alcohol in my system as a 16 year old. And um, <laughs> that cop, um, and when I asked him at a certain point, you know, what's next? He said to me, well, we call your parents and they come out and pick you up. And that terrified me more than anything he could have, anything else he could have said. And I begged him to take me to jail um, because it was a Wednesday night. Uh, my parents had worked the next day and it was, it was midnight and they're getting a phone call from the local police department. Uh, and this was not something that was in character uh, for myself, you know, and, and especially in my parents' eyes. Um, and being a sort a role model in the dojo and whatnot, and so that that I got hit in the face hard with reality that night. But I also learned a lot of things as well. Um, you know, those those police officers should have taken me in um, and processed me, but because of who my father was, uh, and, and he would teach seminars for local police departments for free um, just to help train local law enforcement and whatnot in um, arrest control procedures and things like that. They knew the kind of man he was and so um, they did me a favor and they let my parents come pick me up. I was hit with a fine. Um, I still had to go to court and uh, I lost my license and which was for me at 16 was pretty devastating. Uh, I had just gotten it. Uh, I also had my motorcycle license which I'd lost that too. Um, and uh, it was a it was a solid lesson learned. I, I was 16 years old and I was riding motorcycles with my dad and all of his motorcycle riding friends. We all rode Harleys and um, that was so cool as a 16 year old and six <laughs> months into that experience, I, I threw it all away for a dumb decision. Um, but grateful that I made that dumb decision early on in life and not later in life because it, it really, because of my age, I think it really set me straight in a sense of um, you know, I got to continue on, but it followed me. Um, and so like at Marion, um, when, uh, it, it came down to it, they realized that, uh, because of that on my record, I, I wasn't eligible for the scholarship. So I lost the scholarship and uh, I just didn't have the funds to put myself through college at that point. So, um, I went ahead and enlisted into the army. And, um, and so in the, the, the summer of 2006, I was at basic training and um, I enlisted into the Army Reserve um, and I joined an MOS called 
tactical psychological operations. Um, I didn't know what it was, but it sounded cool. <laughs> uh, and in my 18 year old brain, um, that's, that was pretty much the qualifier for most decisions. Uh, doesn't mm -hmm. sound cool. And so, yep, I'm going to go do that. So I went and, uh, uh, did that. And I am one of the people that I met my spouse, my wife at basic training. Um, she also enlisted, um, at the age of 27, uh, to pay off her student loans. Um, and, uh, she's a, she was a, an educator. She was an English teacher, uh, but had massive student debt, like anybody that tries to go to college. Yeah. Um, and so we met not really, we didn't ever really get to say much to each other, but what we did get to see was how each other performs at our lowest and at our worst, um, which was pretty beneficial to uh, establishing the foundation of our relationship. And then we just stayed in contact afterwards. She went to Fort Leonard Wood because she was motor transportation at the time. And I went to Fort Bragg uh, for my advanced training for PSYOP school. And, um, and then afterwards, I went and visited her family in Montana for a couple of weeks. And she came and visited mine in California. And then, uh, and I was 19 at the time. And uh, we decided we wanted to move in together. So I flew up to Montana and got a U-Haul and we loaded all her stuff up and drug her car down here behind it uh, and <laughs> moved in together. Um, and uh, we served in that capacity in the Army Reserve together uh, for about eight years. And, um, you know, in that process had to make ends meet. And I was, and you know, I really had to find my way. I got lost during that time. Um, because we came home in 2000, July of, or January of 2007. And, uh, and then where I was at the point now I'm in the reserves and I have no civilian career and I go, well, now I need to have a career to earn money and earn an income to support a household. And, uh, that was when I started thinking about that was about the age of 19. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, I checked the box of being a soldier, mm -hmm. uh, which I kind of just always aspired to do. And, uh, and so now I'm at this point where I had to figure out what I want to do as a career. And I thought, you know, uh, everyone likes a fireman. Um, and it seems like a pretty cool job. And I had no experience in the career field in itself. Um, but I started just looking at it and, uh, I thought, well, I'll get my feet wet and go to a fire academy and learn about the, the uh, fire service in that way by just immersing myself in it. I didn't have a whole lot of family uh, in fire service or even in, in just emergency services in general. So I didn't really have a lot of direct resources that I knew of at the time to just go ask about it. And so I, uh, I applied for and was accepted into, um, the California regional fire Academy that was kind of put on, it was a collaboration between Sac city and, and Sac Metro, um, fire departments. And they put on this regional fire Academy and, um, and then right around the time when it was the academy was going to be starting is when my, my father was involved in a motorcycle accident and, and lost his life suddenly. Um, and that was incredibly traumatic for me that it crushed my world. We had a, we had a very good relationship and, um, and spent most of our time together. Uh, we did a lot of things together, you know, riding motorcycles and stuff and, and studying martial arts and running the business at that time. At that age, uh, my dad would run the bit, would run the karate school 50% of the time, and I ran it 50% of the time. So he took, 
we ran it. We had at that point we were the karate schools open four days a week, and he he ran it. He opened it and closed it for two days, and I opened it and closed it for two days, and we ran the classes of those days that that we had the the dojo. So we were really close, and um, it was it was quite devastating and traumatic for me to lose him when I did, and um, you know I had to really just kind of find my own way after that, and it's been quite the process and journey, but. Um, uh, you know, I, I, that happened right when the fire academy was starting. And so actually my wife went to my fire academy orientation in my stead because we were had, that was when we were having the memorial service for my father. And then, you know, two weeks later, I'm lined up as a new recruit in a fire academy. Um, so my, my, my mind wasn't a hundred percent on, you know, in present, mm-hmm. um, and not only that, I mean, I, I just wasn't mentally or physically healthy. Uh, I was, I was mad. I was very underweight, malnourished, you know, in a, in a sort of depression, um, but still just kind of going through the motions and doing, doing what I had to do. Um, and uh, about six weeks into that fire academy, my wife and I were notified that we were being rapidly deployed to Iraq in support of the surge at the time. Uh, Cause during that time period, we, we sent a surge of, I don't remember the number, but I, it was a, a large surge of, of military personnel into Iraq as a strategy to uh, really speed up uh, st- stabilizing the country. Um, and so we got deployed for that. And, uh, you know, three months in it, because we're the reserves, much like uh, firefighters going into large incidents like wildland fires, there's a mobilization and then the deployment and then the demobilization, and then you go home. So for a reservist, your mobilization um, includes doing all the training and stuff that active duty usually do throughout the year. They cram it into a, a quick mobilization um, training period, which was for us turned into about three months. And then, uh, and that was spent at Fort Bragg. And then uh, after that, you know, we're, we're boots on the ground in Iraq. and. Uh, in our capacity in PSYOP, we operate in uh, three-man tactical PSYOP teams. And so once we deploy our company, we really don't see each other for the entirety of the deployment. The only people you see is your teammates and uh, whoever you're attached to. So in, a, in a 2008, my team was attached or my, my company was attached to 1st Marines Expeditionary Forces. So we were attached to a, a Marine Corps element in Western Iraq. And, and we all split off into our tactical teams and supported them in, in that capacity. And uh, so we did that, returned home, uh, and then had to go back to the civilian life of figuring things out. And uh, when I left the academy, they said, let us know when you're back and you got a seat. So I came back um, you know, a few weeks after getting home um, <laughs> while we were on leave and unemployed. We applied for a home loan and because we were technically still on active duty orders. So banks don't care uh, where that income's coming from. They just see mm-hmm. you have an income and they approve you for a loan. So we jumped into that with both feet, uh, and, uh, unsure if we even had a parachute on and, um, you know, bought a, bought a house in 2009 with the money we'd saved up while we were deployed. And, um, and then, uh, I used my GI bill to go to the fire Academy and, and that gave me a monthly income, which helped me out, uh, helped us meet, make ends meet. Um, and then, uh, let's see, I, after the fire academy, I, um, 2010, I got hired with, I jumped into the forest service, uh, to get, you know, 
to stay in the sort of career field. And while I was at the fire academy, I really started falling in love with the fire service. Uh, and just it, that was the my my experience every step of the way. Every every bit of firefighting or fire training that I got to be a part of, I loved it. And when I was training, I couldn't wait to be doing it in real life. Um, and uh, so 2010, I um, a buddy of mine in the academy helped me get a job uh, with the forest service on a hell attack crew. So, um, you know, that's taking helicopter rides into, into wildland fires. And we have some pretty, we have some beasts of firefight of wildland firefighting out here on the West coast. Mm -hmm. and, um, that was an awesome experience. You know, um, I, well, I think I was 21 at the time, uh, maybe 22 and, you know, I'm hopping into these, uh, bell 205 Huey, you know, Vietnam looking era helicopters and, <laughs> Um, looking out the windshield of these just monster plumes that we're flying into knowing that we're going to be first boots on the ground on these things and oh it's just such a a fulfilling experience I mean I'm, I was getting paid like 11 bucks an hour but it was uh it was rad and um so I did that for 2010 and uh at the end of that season towards the end of that season I had to leave this the crew a little early because we were being deployed again um mm. And this time it was voluntary and they asked us if we wanted to go. Uh, at the time, I wasn't a huge fan of Iraq uh, after my first experience. Uh, but again, and that, that, was in, that was in the mindset uh, of my 20, 21, 22 year old brain. Um, so anyways, we, we volunteered uh, and we thought we were going to Afghanistan, which was me personally was why I had volunteered. I wanted to go be a part of, of that conflict. Um, and, and serve in that capacity. Uh, but it, that's not the way uh, God planned it out. And we ended up actually going back to Iraq. Um, and so I, I spent my second tour in Iraq on an unconventional, in an unconventional capacity for PSYOP at least. Um, and I was, uh, I was attached to an advisory team um, and we were all, we lived on an Iraqi compound uh, in Eastern Baghdad and um, uh, we all had we all had uh, Iraqi counterparts that we would advise and assist with um, and train, and uh, that was a very unique experience in itself. Whereas my first tour, I was doing a lot of convoys and um, uh, foot patrols and walking for hours on end. Second tour, I was confined to an Iraqi compound for eleven months, and I lived in a, a you know a hundred square foot room that I shared with another person, and that's also where mm -hmm. I worked out of. So it was a it was a, it was just a different experience, but it was a, it was a good experience all around, but the, that was my deployment time. And then uh, after that, when we came home, it was my wife and I had a, a conversation during that deployment. And it, she told me if I wanted, she saw what kind of soldier I was. And she, she let me know if, if I wanted to go special forces, which was something I had been talking about wanting to do. And I was at the time speaking to a, uh, a recruiter for a unit out in the, uh, out here in California and um, just getting squared away on, on what I needed to, to know and do to get prepared just mm -hmm. to put my packet in. And, um, and we had a conversation and, and um, which I was very fortunate to have. I'm very fortunate to have the wife I have um, because she made me think and made me make <laughs> and uh, something she she let me know and and put out there was she wasn't going to raise our children on her own not intentionally at least now life is the way it is and if it takes if it 
you know, removes me suddenly that that is what it is. But um, as far as volunteering to go uh, special forces, I mean, just the commitment in that in the beginning, you're going to be gone for like at least three years just in your initial training. Um, and so she just let me know, you know, if, if you want to do that, I will 100% support you, but I don't want to have kids during that time. I, on the other hand, was very much looking forward to being a father. I mean, that it's not something that's always common in a, a lot of men, but I was, I've, I had been because of the type of father my dad was, I was looking forward to being a dad. And, yeah. um, and so that, and that made me think, and it was very fair and to do. And, um, and so I, I decided, you know, that, that is what I wanted. Um, selfishly, you know, I, I had the fantasy of, of, uh, going special forces, but that's, that's not the right reason to do something like that anyways. And so, um, you know, I, I, I was given the opportunity, uh, in that to actually think about it and make a selfless and, uh, decision. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful that I got to do that. So when we came home from that second deployment, uh, our contracts were up with the army and we decided we were going to re-enlist into the air force reserve. So we did that. My wife went into emergency management and I went into aeromedical evacuation. I wanted to have a career that had some kind of a little bit more civilian application and, you know, uh, just, yeah, just uh, the, the community that translated to the civilian world a little better. Cause my resume at the time was tactical psychological operations and Though I could I could express it now in words um, at the time it was it was kind of hard to translate that to the civilian sector, um, sure. And so I wanted to exploit you know the the training that you get in the military in a way of benefiting me on the civilian side. So I went to, I went air medical evacuation and went to at that time during that time my wife got pregnant and had our first son in 2012 and I. Uh, I spent the first 18 months of his life, I spent nine months away. Um, I was in Texas going to medic school or Air Force medic school. And then I had to go to uh, Wright Pat and, and go to Ohio to uh, get altitude or flight medic training. So learning to be a, f a flight medic up at altitude and air aircraft, you know, uh, altitude, uh, aircraft, uh, altitude physiology and things like that. So um, that was a, that was, I was really excited to get into the medical field. Uh, I'd gotten my training and my experience in the, the exciting sort of firefighting. I'd gotten a little taste in that, but I hadn't really had a hands-on taste and experience in the medical world. And I loved it. Uh, during my clinicals in, in various ERs, um, I, I, I thrived in that environment. I loved being in emergency rooms and um, just in, I re and I realized everything that I'd been training for um, th that I had the capacity to operate under pressure. You don't know until you test yourself. Um, and, and that's, I think, what a lot of people hunger for is that test because they want to know. Um, and uh, that was when I learned that I, I really enjoyed uh, emergency medical services as well as the firefighting. So uh, I finished that out and then started went and then put myself into civilian paramedic school. Cause when you go through all that training in the air force, the only civilian certification you get is a basic EMT license, even though that your scope of practice is beyond what some, what a lot of paramedic scopes are. I mean, I was doing mm -hmm. sutures and things like that, but um, so I put myself through medic school, um, worked a couple jobs at the same time. Uh, that chapter of my life is a big blur 
2013 through like 16 was just a massive blur. And, and I, I call that chapter tired because I really learned what sleep dev- deprivation is. I mean, I, I was, uh, I was doing my paramedic school, uh, paramedic clinicals and paramedic internship, uh, while working two separate jobs and being a reservist in the air force. And because I was a flight medic, I had to do training flights at least every other month, if not every month. And these were three day training missions where we would fly to other States and then come back, you know, you fly out Friday and come back Sunday. So, um, by the time I got hired with the fire department, um, you know, I, um, I was working night shift on an ambulance doing my air, my internship. Um, and, um, I had, I quit my other jobs so that I could, because I got hired with the Yuba city fire, uh, and I was also reservist in the air force. So I would get done with my, um, my night shift Thursday night and my, I would get off at at five in the morning, Friday morning and load up in West Sac into my truck. I'd usually dry heave a little bit. Um, and not, not just from, not from like seeing gross stuff or being traumatized or anything, but just because of the sheer exhaustion, it was almost oh, yeah. a routine that I had that I would just gag. And, um, uh, but anyways, um, you know, I would get in my truck and then I'd drive to Travis air force base and, jump in a flight suit and and then do a pre-mission brief and then fly a training mission to wherever we'd fly oftentimes it was hawaii which was kind of cool but also a curse at the same time um so we, we'd fly out friday do a training mission saturday do a training mission sunday flying home i'd get home sunday night and then uh you know monday and sunday night i might get a solid night's sleep and then uh Monday morning, it was go time at the fire academy for the, for Yuba city. They did their own internal academy for new recruits. So I had the academy during the day and then I'd get off and change my shirt into my, my student shirt, my student paramedic shirt, and then go straight to the West Sac and do my night shift on the ambulance. Sometimes I had enough time when I'd get off that night shift to, to buzz home and maybe lay on the couch for 45 minutes, um, and, uh, refit with, supplies food and stuff that my wife would lovingly have organized and packed for me she'd always have what uniform i needed to be wearing ready to go whether it was student uh job or military um and always had me had me organized and set and and really held things down at the house um and so uh and then i'd go to the academy during the day and just repeat that cycle every week until i finished my internship and really got to get some sleep and uh, finished the academy and, and then got got going on shift work. Um, and then again, jumped in with both feet. And uh, Yuba City is a is a department where we get to do our job. It's, um, it's a fairly busy department. Um, I think they average about a structure fire a week. Um, it's a five station department, four engines, one truck. They, they just got approved for the truck. It's being built. It's been a five engine department uh, for the time I was there. But um, BLS department um, and uh, a really solid group of men um, there that are um, really, really established a close knit brotherhood through some some tough times. You know, they had some some difficult leadership for a period of time that was sort of mostly before my time, but that forged a really strong bond among the line staff and uh, and has since translated throughout the department and um, we got we have a lot of fresh leadership there and um, 
it, it, it was it was such a gym that you know a lot of people don't know about that department and i'm sure there's a lot of guys and gals out there that uh that feel the same way about their own department but they have two highways intersecting inside the city the city's also paralleled by a river um we have a lot of mutual aid uh you know contracts with with surrounding agencies um a lot of wildland urban interface uh so you get to do your job you know i mean i i right out the gates i mean i i had i think and it was just the luck of the draw you know some guys go their first couple of years without ever getting on a, a, a live fire and mm-hmm. uh, i mean i i was fortunate enough to the the luck of the draw where i got i remember my first month online i got uh four working structure fires uh, residential and commercial and uh man i was hooked i mean I, I got to learn so many great lessons throughout all of it, but um, yeah, that, that was 2016 when I got hired there. Mm-hmm. And um, right before I got hired, um, I was working for, for a medical company as a point of service, which is abbreviated as POS. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was checking people into doctor's appointments and it, it paid decent. It paid, and that's why I had the job was just to fill the gap of paying the bills while I was going to school and whatnot. And um, you know, one day they were wheeling. They the ambulance crew came in for somebody complaining of chest pain, and the girl sitting next to me, she goes, "I get so nervous when they, when they, when they come." And I look at her and I said, "How come?" And she said, "You know, because it's like an emergency." And I realized I absolutely do not belong where I'm sitting right now. Uh, I knew it was temporary, but um, that fire inside me, you know, it was you, when you feel it going out, uh, you got to do something about it. And so uh, a couple of weeks later, they stuck me in a call center where I was in a cubicle with no windows and a brick wall and a headset on and taking call after call, uh, helping uh, the elderly figure out their, you know, health insurance and, and whatnot. It just wasn't my jam. And mm-hmm. uh, I was the sole provider for the household and I quit my job. Um, and I decided I'm going to start my own business. Uh, I have skills. Uh, I have something to give to people that I can share. Uh, that was all I knew. So I acquired uh, Photoshop, uh, started Google or uh, Googling and YouTubing how to Photoshop and made my own little homemade logo and uh, which was Sussdorf self-defense. And I started teaching self-defense out of my garage, um, which was a really awesome decked out garage that my wife had uh, built for me with a friend while I was gone on some military training. But anyways, started doing that. And when I got hired with Yuba City, right when it started picking up is when I got hired with Yuba City. And so I had to let a lot of clients go because I had to, you know, probationary fireman at, at my dream job. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was all hands on deck once that you know, all the energy I was putting into getting there uh, got laser focused on that once I got that because I wanted to excel. And I also, that was my goal. I kept telling my wife something I just kept telling her was just hang in there. Just trust me. It's going to be great. I mean, we were, you know, I, I was just talking to a friend about how uh, that, that, you know, I got used to seeing collections letters um, just because we were juggling. Like it was, that was that was sort of our way of, okay, now it's time to pay that bill. Um, you know, and we can't shop for groceries this week because we paid the mortgage. So we're going to, we're doing rice and pasta a lot. Um, and I just kept telling my wife, just, 
trust me, it's going to be great. You know, um, yeah, I had all my times where I doubted myself even and, um, and, and had that fear of, you know, I'm, I'm putting my, my family is relying on me and, um, I'm telling them to trust me. So I really got to step up and failure and quit aren't even, they're not even options, uh, to be considered. Um, mm -hmm. and so you do what you got to do to make it happen. But, um, you know, once that, once that started going, I let the, uh, the side business go. And then about, uh, well, 2020, uh, well, 2019 is when I decided I was going to start my own business again, but do it legit and register it and all that. And, and, uh, so then in, in 2020, uh, with the way things were going, that really lit a fire under me. Uh, I, I knew that I had something to offer, um, people, American people and just people in general. Um, something that I, I got real tired of was seeing victims. Um, and you know, you want to be there for everybody. Um, and sort of a curse of technology these days is you, we are all given the capability of witnessing, uh, a lot more of the world than we used to before the yeah. internet, uh, for those that know what that was like. Um, so bearing witness to the, the vast just group of victims in our world, I was really tired of that. And I wanted to empower people in some way to help them. And the best way I knew how was just teaching what I know, teaching self-defense, uh, teaching the martial way so that people shift their mindset from being a victim and making excuses as to why they can't defend themselves and they have to outsource their own self-defense to some other entity, whether it be 911 or just somebody else. Uh, and I just wanted to empower people in that way. So I started with self-defense and I started with forming Swamp Box Tactics. Um, and, uh, you know, that that led me to the road where I'm at now. And we launched Swamp Box Tactics in uh, January of 2021. And, um, and I started, that was Swamp Box Tactics was when I started uh, or reduced putting the cart before the horse, so to speak. Uh, I still have, have been doing it and I'm just, I am one step at a time, learning one lesson at a time, um, you know, to be a little bit more patient um, and formulate my plan more clearly um, mm -hmm. and not take shortcuts. Basically listening to all the lessons that I tell my sons every day and uh, taking a bit of my own medicine. Um, but, uh, you know, I would have all these ideas of things I could do and I would just start uh, and just go in five different directions. And that's great and all, but there's a balancing act you have to play, especially when you are in this role of a first responder or a firefighter in the, the, the schedules that we have, you know, I mean, coming home from a 96, um, exhausted, you know, maybe just did a gnarly extrication of a child out of a vehicle or something. And now you come home to your kids who are just woke up high energy, ready to go. And you're dragging. And you also have all these things in your head that this, I'm going to do this on my days off. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to get this taken care of. And I mean that, you know, as well as I do, how much <laughs> that stacks up. And Absolutely. oftentimes that first day that you're off, I mean, 
it's tough. It can be very tough to be worth anything at all outside of just needing a, a nap. Um, and uh, finding my groove with that was was a challenge. But um, what I can say is, you know, something that I've learned is it's you set small goals and you accomplish those those small tasks and you accept you be you got to be realistic with yourself and accept what you can accomplish in a short period of time. And, um, and so if it's just one task for the job for the, or for the business, you know, all right, I got one step closer to my goals for my business. Um, now, if you're setting hard line, you know, uh, deadlines for yourself, then you got to back plan those, you know, how do I get one step at a time uh, to those uh, instead of piling too much on? Cause I mean, for my situation, um, you know, I'm a father as well as a fireman and an entrepreneur and a husband. And so uh, I owe just as much of myself to each of those individually. Um, and uh, understanding that balance is extremely important, as well as just being a healthy role model for my family and others. And so taking care of yourself is extremely important. Um, you know, sleep when you can, plan when you're not, you know, don't waste your time when you're awake. Your time is your most valuable asset. And I know everybody just about has probably heard that, but to know it um, is something else. You know, you're laying in bed at, at, at the firehouse at night, scrolling on your phone. Um, and I'm not saying you, I'm just talking in generalities, yeah. but, you know, that's wasted time. You know, if you're doing that, you need to, like, you either need to be accomplishing something or bettering yourself. So educating, educating yourself, research something that you don't know about and learn about it. You know, if you're not using that time to either rest uh, or heal yourself in some way, uh, you know, exercising, stretching, meditating, um, you know, your time needs to be productive and, and valued by you before it's going to be valued by anybody else. And it shows, you know, when, when you make that shift of treating your time the way you want people other you're the way you want others to value your time uh, it shows it shows in your preparation and it shows in your performance um, and that's that's everything from from firefighting to just life in general i mean many people most people that get hired as a firefighter understand that fact because they understand in order to get hired as a firefighter they have to be the best version of themselves uh, to get hired and so they just pursue that but then when a lot of people get hired or get to that point that they've set for themselves, I need to get to here. Um, once they get there, they, they lock and load with that parking brake or that recliner pull and, uh, and cruise, you know, and I'm not just talking about firemen. I'm just, I'm talking about people in general with their goals and ambitions. Um, you know, you have, you should continue like what I learned from my father uh, early on was, continuing in that student mentality, you know, bettering yourself. If it, if, if it's just being the best firefighter that you can be, absolutely do that. Um, you know, but at the same time, understanding what are your other hats that you're wearing? Are you, are you just a fireman or a fire firefighter, fire man or woman, but, uh, you know, or are you also a parent? Are you also a leader for others in some capacity? Uh, you know, when you stop trying to better yourself in any way, um, it shows, you know, and you, I think a lot of people get stagnant in that. And, um, you know, 
learning and bettering ourselves is not something that ends when you like graduate school and someone gives you a piece of paper saying congratulations you did it um it never ends or it shouldn't mm-hmm. you know there's so much for us to learn and know and um maintaining that that student mentality i think is is really important when it comes to just success in life um and success in health as well yeah but that's my long-winded answer to your to the chronological journey to get here (laughs) (laughs) dude that amazing amazing story man like i you know a lot to digest, obviously. Um, you know, one thing that that comes to mind, um, you know, as you were telling your story, um, it, starting at the beginning, you know, when you were talking about your 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 father, um, you know, just hearing about his uh, you visualizing integrity, and not just hearing a definition, right. you know, you you visualized it as as a as a young man and and as a child. Um, which, you know, growing up, I mean, that's, that's huge, right? Um, you know, it, it set the foundation for the rest of your life, you know, for your manhood, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, not only that, but not, and then you're talking about how, you know, he always, you know, he, he had the, he had, you know, these upper echelon levels or, or mastery levels, right? In the different forms of, uh, you know, karate and martial arts that you guys taught, but he never referred to himself in that manner. And he always referred to himself as a teacher and, and still as a student. One of the humblest men I've ever known. It, that, it, that's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And, you know, that's something that, um, you know, it, it, there's such a valuable lesson in that alone. And that's something that, you know, I aim to teach my son you know, as, uh, you know, as he's, as he's growing up and that's something that, you know, if I can instill that image into him as, you know, my father did to me and your father did to you, I mean, you're, you're, you're setting them up for success in adulthood and in childhood, really, you know, through their adolescent years, you know, always, I mean, they will always do what you do before they do what you say. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and I eat my words on that often still. Oh, so do I. <laughs> no so do I. Perfect. And, uh, and... You know, it's, it's important to be, and I mean, it's important to um, to let your kids see you fail. Uh, I think it's yeah. so important. Because, um, I mean, every, every, I think most boys look at their dad as like this unbreakable wall, uh, which is great. Um, yeah. But it's important to see what failure looks like i mean it's mm-hmm. it's defined by the person experiencing it you know it's it's like what edison i think it was edison speaking to the light bulb you know i didn't yep. i didn't fail a thousand times i just learned a thousand ways to not make a light bulb um, mm-hmm. and that's it's it's all about the mindset and mentality uh and that that it, i ex- i experienced in my 20s um you know when i went to my fire academy it was during the time of most of you are probably not going to get hired was, was what was ingrained, you know, ingrained in our minds. Yep. Um, and there's a Same bit here. of ego in that statement. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there's, there's it just because of the nature of the beast, there's, there's ego involved in our job yeah. and our, our environment. But uh, that, that made an impression on me. And I finally got to the point where I realized, you know, no, I, I am, I am the best person 
the most qualified person in this job. I'm not coming and asking for a job. I'm showing up and explaining to you why I am the best candidate for this position out of all these other 500 people in line behind me. And here's why. Um, mm. You know, that, that mental shift of just confidence in myself, um, it showed. Uh, it, it, and I mean, it showed to me. Um, right. You know, and, and that's also when I, I, you have to back it up. Like, no excuses. What needs mm-hmm. to get done, I'm going to make it happen. If, you know, if excuses, that's all they are as an excuse. No one cares. No yep. one cares about your excuse. Life doesn't care about your excuses. Neither does reality. Um, the only thing that, that life and reality really care about are results and action. So, um, you know, whatever the excuses are, don't even entertain it. You, you, you shoot for the, the, the success and make it happen. You know, for me, in my situation, it was, okay, I can, I can sleep less. Uh, it wasn't a help and, and that give on that end of the, you know, the wick burned at the other end as well. I, I sacrificed my health uh, for that period of time. I was extremely unhealthy. Um, and, and again, in firefighting, there are times when I, I let my health go. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't drinking as much water as I should be. I wasn't getting as much sleep as I should be. And I didn't, I wasn't educated on the, the effects of that, you know, the, basically the, the carcinogens that you're exposed to just from not sleeping. Um, so, um, you know, taking care of yourself is just, is just really important. Oh, absolutely, man. And it's, it's, that's become a, a common, um, talking point uh, throughout the majority of my episodes so far. Um, and, and it's not that, and I have quite a few of them, I haven't brought it up and, uh, you know, the guest, um, you know, on the show brings it up and, you know, I think it's, it was a much overlooked, um, aspect to our profession. Um, you know, back when, you know, we both started, we both started about the same time. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that people are talking about it more and I'm glad that people are talking about, you know, self-care a little more, um, you know, meditating and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, that's one of, I never really got into, um, you know, before and up until this entrepreneurial journey I'm on now, um, you know, on, on top of the fire service, but, you know, I, I never got into it. I thought it was just this, you know, weird thing that, uh, um, you know, random people did. And I never, you know, never even thought to try it. So, and then when I did, I, I can't believe, I mean, it's, it unbelievable benefits from it, you know, and it just, it, it helps you, it helps you manage your, the, the day-to-day stress between, you know, you know, I just got off shift uh, this morning. Right. And now I, I come home, I, I got a business to run. I have a not-for-profit that I help run. I'm on this podcast with you, you know, and, and it's just, you know, there's so much going on and being able to, to stop for 20 or 30 minutes and, and meditate. Mm-hmm. It, it means the world. It, 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 you know, it, it really does. Yeah. And, you know, and, and as far as culture goes, um, you know, we, I, I was part of a, a, a little bit of a cultural shift at my, my department. Um, I'm not saying that I was a part of it and that I created it or mm-hmm. anything. Like that. I was just present during it. Um, and, and what I got to see was sort of that culture shift of the, 
the, the salty fireman of, you know, we don't talk about our feelings. Um, I'm going to roll my eyes at you when I see you stretching, um, mm-hmm. you know, that we're, we're going to eat the thickest, uh, steak we can, which I got nothing against that. Uh, but, uh, and then we're going to go rack out on the, on the recliner mm-hmm. uh, and then just jump up cold body and, and run to the lift assist for the, you know, 400 plus pound patient, uh, at 1am, but, um, yep. You know, watching that shift of experimentation by by guys of trying to get healthy uh, and research and learn it um, was really awesome to 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 see because you know the shift for me was I'm looking at these salty guys that that claim to kind of have it all figured out um, and I'm watching them retire and um, the strongest willed and minded individuals and sort of the, what I, I saw as the most level-headed guys. I mean, retirement was almost like death for a lot of these guys, you know, like, Mm -hmm. okay, now you're supposed to start living. Well, I mean, you've been living for 30 years, you know, and not only that, but you've been living in a capacity where you idle, your idling speed is a hundred miles an hour. Um, And now you've, you've completely killed the engine to the boat and that wake that's behind you doesn't stop. And I can speak to that person. Um, you know, my current situation right now, I'm, I'm employed with the city of Yuba city, uh, but I'm actually on a worker's comp injury that, um, is, is more than likely going to retire me from, from the career. Mm. Um, I, I tore a disc in my back on duty and, uh, um, it just, it's, it's turned into, you know, it, I, I've had to completely change my lifestyle. I've had to relearn everything that I, that you, you almost take for granted. You know, I, yeah. I live on some property uh, here in the mountains in Northern California. And uh, I got my, my daily tasks are not pushing a lawnmower on, you know, a, a small little lawn. It's, I got work to do around my property and what used to be, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to knock out that, 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 and that today it's no, I'm going to knock out half of that. And then I'm going to be, uh, laid up for two days afterwards, you know, and um, so I've just had to relearn my pace and my planning um, yeah. and execution of, of things. But um, what I can say to that, you know, I, in comparison to guys that have been in, been on the job up to retirement that make it to retirement, you know, I, I have but a fraction of the time. Uh, I was online for just over five years. Um, and uh, I do have all my other life experiences and traumas and whatnot piled on. Um, and really, you know, I only started focusing on my, my own personal mental health and healing and inner work that everybody needs to do, mm-hmm. uh, probably around uh, 2018, 2019. And then shortly after that is when the injury happened. And I can tell you, uh, even with my short period of time, that wake behind me, um, when I, when I, you know, stopped, mm-hmm. um, it catches up. And oh, yeah. even for someone that's, you know, preparing for it, uh, and, and thinks they have, uh, thinks they're pretty healthy, um, and has a, have a pretty good handle on things, man, what, a just what a, a ride it is, you know, cause there's a lot we have to process. We think we process stuff from the job but it still leaves a residual accumulation, um, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, they're just, they're microscopic traumas. You know, we, we experience 
what one person's lifetime traumatic event, you know, we experience that thousands of times over. Um, and you can try and say disconnect from it as much as possible. You're still witnessing reality. Uh, and to bear witness to that uh, carries a weight. Uh, and mm -hmm. that has to be that has to be dealt with and processed um, and whether you want to or not, because there's going to come a day of reckoning for everyone when it comes to um, facing, you know, not just not their demons, but just the traumas of life of, mm -hmm. of they've had to bear witness to. Um, and so doing that actively, um, you know, before you get to that point of, of killing the engine and, and letting that wake catch up to you and just kind of coasting um, in retirement or whatever it might be, um, you know, entering that time period in a healthy state where you're already processing those things is extremely important. Because I cannot, I can only imagine what, what 30 years of memories is like, you know, when you're, you're yeah. alone and, and you can't distract yourself from it. I think a lot of us do that. We just distract our minds with, with other tasks um, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's a temporary fix. That's a bandaid yeah. and, and addressing the things that you've, you've, uh, dealt with and not just the, the things you've experienced, but just the lifestyle that you lived. It's an awesome job. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it's a job that I loved. And in the moment I enjoyed it, I knew this is the coolest job. I could be dead exhausted with one day off and doing back-to-back -back 96s i still love the job and would be you know dark circles under my eyes but laughing at the top of my lungs with the guys you know and uh just having such a great time and you know dotted with those those times of you know adrenaline and excitement you know and you get to the point where you're not getting adrenaline dumps out of fear you're just you're just excited, you know, you're, you're, you're riding the lightning of adrenaline. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, you get to that point where you can, you can walk up to a, a fully involved commercial building and calmly assess and uh, take action and, and even start helping and, and directing other, uh, you know, younger uh, firefighters on the scene. It's, it's so fun. And uh, it doesn't matter how much you um, appreciate it. You're going to miss it period because it's just something awesome so yeah. you know having something else on the side i think is also a way of reminding yourself that you know you're still on this path of growth um, and to continue on that you know and understanding that you're not just a fireman mm -hmm. you are still you in this life yeah um, um, and whether, you know, you wear other hats as a parent or, uh, in other leadership roles of, of community and, and social groups and things like that, you know, bettering yourself is, I think, an important part of, of, of the way forward of, of making your own path, understanding that you've never made it. You know, I mean, you might be wealthy in money or monetary uh, situations. You might be wealthy in physical things. Um, you might be wealthy just in, in love and family that you have uh, in your relationships with your family. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, you've never made it. Uh, and, and understanding that, that you're constantly having to work, you know, to improve yourself is, I think, an important mindset to maintain. Yeah. Yeah. There's always work to do. 
Indeed. It's always worth yeah, it. There's always improvement to be made. Absolutely. Uh, no one's no one's ever perfect. Um, you know, that's for damn sure. Um, you know, I I say it all the time and um, you know, you uh you can certainly strive to be, you know, but like you said, um this kind of ties into what um what you said before about failure. Um you know, without failure, realistically, how do you know when you've won? Right. You know, yeah. and um, I think it's, you know, like you said, it's important to, you know, for either your children to watch you fail and see how you recover from failure. Um, and not only that, but um, just individually, you know, unfortunately, you know, I think people do need to fail at some point, right? And it doesn't have to be a giant failure. It doesn't have to be a life altering failure. You know, it could just be a, a simple task, um, yes. you know, but, it, you know, it just like sports or just like martial arts, right? You know, we losing is part of the game. Losing makes you better. Absolutely. That's losing all you makes do you better. Your training is you're trying, like that is every, I mean, firefighter, everybody understands the value of, of mistakes in mm -hmm. training like that. Yeah. That's, that's the best way to learn something is to, to, that's why we train is to try and hit those mistakes now, um, yep. you know, especially in a role where other people's lives depend on you. That's why training is so important because, you know, you want to make those mistakes in training. You can't afford to make those mistakes in, in real life scenarios because uh, someone else depends on you in that sense. But that's the whole, you know, point of it all is just kind of pushing yourself to the point of failing in some place the pressure yeah. test everything and finding the leaks um agreed yeah. and patching it up and continuing to ship forward yeah 100 uh, yeah um just real quick how just let's uh touch on swamp fox really quick just yeah. so the I listeners if they actual business very much no it's okay man it was a great it's great story Great story. And uh, you hit on a lot of good uh, life lesson type points, you know, throughout the story. So it was, it was well worth the, uh, the wait to talk about the business. So I appreciate it. I appreciate um, yeah, so let's talk about Swamp Fox for a couple of minutes. So that way, um, you know, hopefully if someone's listening and they're in the California area, um, you know, or if you do them online, um, you know, they can look you up and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, maybe book a class or, you know, something with you. So yeah, give the listeners a little, uh, reader's digest of uh, Swamp Fox. Well, like I said, I started with, uh, teaching in-person, uh, self-defense and, uh, I had started branching out as well into teaching, uh, personal emergency preparedness, uh, as well as personal emergency medical response. Um, you know, skills that people recognize, they need, you know, uh, three to five minutes at best is still an extremely long time for help to get there. Yep. So, um, that, that is what I started off doing. So once I got injured, um, I had to do a bit of pivoting with my business. You know, my injury occurred four months after I launched my business. Mm. Um, and so I had to pivot quite a bit because after, uh, sustaining this injury, the, the thought of putting on, you know, Blauer fight suits with uh, aspiring police officers and things like that, and, and having hundreds of people beat me up again, um, <laughs> it, it's not realistic, you know, and so uh, I have pivoted a bit in my um, business, and I don't just do live training, so what I have done 
is uh, I partnered with a few people and I have developed a mobile app uh, that is going to be launching. Uh, it'll by the time this this podcast airs, it will be launched and live. So uh, awesome. what people can do if they want to see what we have uh, created is go to their Apple or Google Play Store uh, and download Swamp Fox Tactics or Swamp Fox mobile app. Uh, what the app is is something that I wanted when I was teaching live and that was a digital supplement to my live training so somewhere I could direct people to go to to get more of of what I'm teaching them you know in little bite-sized nuggets five to ten minute clips uh, and what I learned in that process was people don't go to www.wherever they don't go sit sit down at home turn on their desktop log into a website and then start viewing content it's just not the way people's lives are, are built anymore uh, or designed you know it's everyone's on the go um and they have five to ten minutes at a time of free mm -hmm. time and uh so i wanted to develop something to where people had that quick and easy access i also learned that i don't want to be a sole content creator um i can create content but i am not an expert at it and at the same time you should enjoy what you do and uh, content creation isn't my my biggest passion uh so i put my individual content on in the app but what I have done is collaborated with dozens of other professionals and companies uh, to come together. And they uh, have taken sort of ownership of the app and put their content in the app as well. So what the app is, is it's a, it's a knowledge transfer hub for professionals of various backgrounds and wheelhouses to share a bit of their knowledge with the general population. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, Americans are... Uh, vastly unprepared for hard mm -hmm. times and uh, we absolutely have some very hard times ahead um, and I'm not like a, a doomsday uh, prepper so to speak but um, you know grandma survived the great depression because she knew how to do stuff a lot of people don't know how to do stuff anymore like grow their own food uh, or cook a meal from whole foods um, or procure their own water Mm -hmm. or defend themselves or stop a bleed you know or function and operate a firearm um, or just plan for a general emergency for their you know their family so what i've done is is gathered and continue to gather and source professionals uh, to join in the app in providing content to the app and so whether there's people out there that are that are interested in gaining these hard skills uh, to be better prepared for their families and their loved ones. Uh, you know, they can download the app. It's five bucks a month to gain access to all the, the content in there. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a conglomeration or a mixture of, of, of exclusive content as well as open source content um, found from other people's channels. So there's people with YouTube channels and stuff that, that also put their, their content in there. Yeah. Uh, and then as well as other professionals out there that feel like they have something to share or they have their own business but um like many uh skilled and experienced professionals out there nobody knows they exist and so this is a hub where they can come uh put their content and then as well as uh you know share that with their own clients they they now have a hub and a platform to where they can plug their information in their content and again it's not a website it's a it's a mobile app so people have that icon you know they they open up their phone, they scroll, they watch some content, and then they move on. Um, yeah. 
and the, and the big draw to the app as well is the, the wide range of content that I provide in there. You know, I provide everything from armed and unarmed uh, self-defense to uh, homestead gardening and wilderness and urban survival um, with, with the intent of, you know, there's a demographic of people that are going to come just for, to learn how to grow their own homestead garden or their own victory garden, you know, for those yeah. that live in cities. Um, but then those those people are also going to potentially be new to sort of the two-way gun world. And uh, maybe they do recognize that they need a firearm and they've never owned one. You know, this is a place where they can go get some introduction to these topics. Um, and it's also a place where aspiring professionals in these fields can come and sharpen their skills with some advanced knowledge and tips and tricks like that. So yeah. if people are interested, um, that's on, on uh, Google and uh, Apple iOS platforms for their phones and tablets. Um, I'm pretty excited about it. It's something that is, uh, that we're, we're actively working on right now and building. And, uh, I I've also sourced from places like LinkedIn, uh, for direct, direct sourcing for specific professionals. And, yeah. uh, I'm pretty stoked with the lineup of, of guys that we, we have sharing. I mean, we, I got guys from, um, you know, former special operators, uh, not just from the U.S., but from other countries that are uh, dual patriot or dual citizens. You know, they, they immigrated to the U.S. and then joined our law enforcement or military. Uh, I have individuals that live off grid and are going to be sharing content on, on how they do that. Um, so just a wide range of professionals sharing what they know with people that, you know, they're in that daily grind. But where do I start when it comes to educating myself on on something new? What where can I learn a new skill? Well, this, this, yeah. that's what the app is, is a place to continue sharpening your own skills. Um, and I will say for those out there that, uh, that they like to bring this up, um, digital training is never a replacement for live training. Uh, it, digital training is a supplement. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I think, I think this is going to be something that a lot of people find a huge value in. Um, we do have EMS agencies that are, uh, involved in the app that are going to be providing content that counts as continuing education credits you know for those in uh the medical fields and whatnot yeah. so um you know it doesn't matter who you are there's going to be value in the app for for people to continue bettering themselves and becoming more self-reliant and self-resilient um, because that's what secures the future is is when you secure it yourself and don't outsource it to somebody else to secure your and your children's future for you. Um, yeah. You know, my philosophy is I don't care what goes on in the world. My children are going to have a childhood, uh, even if it means I got to just secure that land for them to have that childhood on, um, they will have it and they will also have a future. Um, and I, I intend to take an active role in, in that future that I leave behind for them. And I think there's a movement happening of people taking on that responsibility and understanding that it's everybody's individual responsibility to, to secure a, a future for their children, one that they want their children to grow up in. Um, so that's yeah. what we're about is, is the, the mobile app. And uh, I'm really excited to, to share it with people. We're on, uh, we're on a lot of the social media platforms, you know, where Swamp Fox Tactics can be sought out on Instagram, LinkedIn, I believe we're on Facebook as well. Uh, SwampFoxTactics.com is a, as a our personal website for our business, um, as well as a place where people can download the app. Um, and 
yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for what's to come. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, I, uh, I'm excited for the app to come out. I will, uh, definitely download it and check it out. Um, yeah. sounds, sounds awesome. Um, yeah. I'd also and- like to just encourage people to do, since I, I've, I'm pretty long winded, uh, just to look up the history of the Swamp Fox, find out, okay. learn about who Francis Marion is. Um, because that's, that's what I named my company after for a reason. When I was at Marion Military Institute, I joined a, um, a program, a military fraternity called the Swamp Fox program. And it was a program that was uh, developed in honor of uh, Francis Marion, um, who the, the university was also founded after. Um, and it was, des- it was developed to, pre- to prepare uh, newly commissioned officers about to go to Vietnam uh, and it prepared them and trained them for unconventional jungle warfare, uh, which is uh, unconventional warfare is is sort of the the tactic behind uh, what Francis Marion was about, and uh, he okay. was he was a big forefather in that sense of establishing that in our country. So uh, yeah, I encourage people to look up that history and heritage of not just my company but of our American heritage. Yeah, and where it came from. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. Um, dude, this has been a great conversation. Uh, your story again, is phenomenal. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, listeners are gonna, are gonna get a kick out of, um, you know, the story. I know you said it's long winded. It's okay. Um, you know, they're still going to find value in it. Um, you know, uh, you literally answered pretty much every question without me even having to ask it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, man, it's, uh, it was a good conversation, um, you know, and I, uh, you know, want to thank you again for for hopping on and being open and sharing your story. Absolutely. You know, some sometimes it's sometimes it's a little tough talking about, um, you know, past experiences that were um, that were not traumatizing, but tough times in life. And um, you obviously, ex- yeah, you've obviously experienced that. And, you know, um, thank you for being open and sharing that. I think that the, uh, uh, that the listeners are going to uh, learn some valuable lessons throughout that story. So absolutely. And for, uh, you know, anybody out there, um, you know, struggling or, or having their hard time, you know, and just remember that, that it, it comes in waves. Um, but to, to write it out, uh, feel it and, um, and then reach out and talk to somebody you know, and, and if you don't have somebody reach out to me, I'd be glad to talk to you. Um, obviously I enjoy talking a lot. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I just want, want all of our brothers and sisters out there in, in all of the uniforms and capacities, you know, the parents, the mothers, the fathers that are, that are really selflessly trying to do it on their own and hitting those, um, those hard times to just, to know that you're not, you're not alone in this journey. And, um, you know, you can absolutely do it. So, um, you know, push through, drive on and set your goals and, um, remember to, to, to not forget about yourself and take care of yourself as well. Love it, man. Love it. Great parting words. And doing this with me. Um, it's, I'm humbled to, to be on this, this podcast with you. So. No, I, I appreciate it, man. Um, I really do. And uh, appreciate the kind words. And, um, 
you know, we will have uh, all of Jason's links uh, to Swamp Fox and uh, his also his LinkedIn in the bottom of the show notes. So that way, if, if you know, anybody, please start uh, following Jason's uh, social media journey. And uh, if you'd like to get in contact with him, we'll leave it. We'll drop his uh, LinkedIn profile link at the bottom. So Great. you can message him and uh, go from there. Absolutely. Reach out. Yes. All right. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate it. You take care, Ryan, and uh, I'll be listening to you. All right. Thank you for listening to the First Do Entrepreneurs podcast. If you like our show, please hit that subscribe button below and leave a five-star review. If you're a first responder that also runs a business or maybe you're looking to start a business, check out our Facebook group for tips. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.